You're listening to In the Open, a Mental Health America podcast, a space where we explore mental health and navigate the challenges of life through honest and candid conversation. Hi, everybody. It's America. We're back for another session of In the Open. Teresa isn't here with me today, but I do have a special guest. His name is Dr. Joe. Joe, say hi. Hi, everyone. Joe, tell us a little about who you are and who you work with. Yeah, so I am the Vice President of Research and Scientific Affairs at the National Sleep Foundation. It's a nonprofit that's been around for over 30 years, dedicated solely to, you know, helping increase wellness and health through sleep education and advocacy efforts. Awesome. Joe, so we have you here today because we're finishing our series with the idea that we really want to focus on the different environments that we're in and how they influence our mental health. And some people may ask why sleep, but most of us are sleeping at home. And that's one of the places that, you know, we spend a lot of time in. And it's really important to think about how that home environment influences our sleep. So glad to have you here today. And tell us a little bit about yourself and your sleep. (laughs) So I have um, two young children. I have a three-year-old who's napping right now. So if you hear anything in the background, that may or may not be a child waking up. And I also have a soon-to-be one-and-a-half-year-old. So if you do the math on that, that essentially means since the pandemic started in March 2020, you know, my whole life has changed. So I have a lot of external influences that might disrupt my sleep, might make my sleep a little bit more difficult uh, or more challenging. I still do my best to prioritize, um, but I would say that my sleep is teetering on average, if I was being you know, quite honest. What's average? What is that, like eight hours? Anywhere from seven to nine is what the National Sleep Foundation suggests is, is right. I'm teetering around seven. Okay. So, so I get into that zone, and then on days, depending on what's happening, I might be a little bit less, I might be a little bit more, but um, like I said, you know, somewhere around the middle is what I would say. Okay. It's interesting that you mention the pandemic, right? I think mm-hmm. a lot of us throughout that process had to figure out how to modify our schedules so that we could still maintain a good sleep quality. I know myself, there were days that I would just be up like until two or three in the morning, just watching TV, you know, and then getting up much later. And that just threw things off. So getting back into like a rhythm was a bit of an an issue. And I also appreciate the fact that you're talking about, you know, external factors that can influence our sleep. You know, what's interesting with the pandemic, I think there was what you were talking about, that really interesting thing happened where all of a sudden we gained, quote, a lot of flexibility. So people were working at different hours because they were, everyone was working remotely. But there was another thing that happened. You had a lot of bedroom creep happening. So a lot of people don't have houses or living places where they have just you know, here's a whole extra room that I could just convert into a home office. So home offices started popping up in places where they weren't, you know, maybe supposed to be like in a bed or a bedroom. Yeah. All of a sudden that bedroom environment on our lived space becomes multi-purpose. And in terms of sleep, that can really also be a hindrance. It can start to produce, you know, confusion with your body and and what you should be doing in this space and what this space is for and what it's a cue for. So there's a lot of different things that happened during the pandemic. They did show that as a whole, people were sleeping a little bit more, but the quality of that sleep was a little bit worse. Yeah. So really interesting things happen. 
I can understand that, especially when you think about too, when you, the added layer, if you're living with a mental health condition and, you know, with some of the things that we're struggling with, the routine aspect of it is really important. And so when you have your quote unquote sleeping space, then become your eating space, your living space, your workspace, then it does create a lot of confusion. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there is anything tied to this idea of really creating a comfortable kind of sleeping space and how that really helps cue your body to get into a restful space? Yeah, no, I think there's a lot to it. So first, I mean, sleep is one of those things that happens best when you kind of do the work ahead of time. It it shouldn't be effortful in the moment, right? You shouldn't be trying to sleep, but you do the work ahead of time. You set yourself up for success. And part of that is having this nice environment, an environment that's cool, that's quiet, that's dark. You know, you want to be comfortable. It's hard to sleep when you're in pain. There's all of those things that go along with it. But then there's also the idea that, that you want it your sleep environment, your bedroom, your bed to be a cue for sleep. You don't want it to be a cue for, oh, it's time for me to, you know, go to work for eight hours or it's time for me to watch two hours of Netflix. Um, all these sorts of things. There's a story I like to tell, true story, but I think it really highlights the importance of, of establishing this good behavioral kind of link between the bedroom and bed and sleep. So the story goes something like this, that when I was in graduate school, I had a lot of work that I was doing. So, you know, I was working a lot in my office at, at, at the university. And um, there was a time where, you know, it just got late at night, late, late at night, maybe eight or nine. So I had already eaten in my office, but I went home. I said, I got to get out of here, but I'm still going to go home and I'm going to finish up some work. So I took a whole bunch of my work with me and being a graduate student, I didn't have a big home office, like I was saying. So I laid out some stuff on the, on the, the table where I usually eat. And even though I had already eaten dinner, as soon as I laid stuff out and sat down, I got a little hungry. And I think that's a good example, right? Because I put myself in the situation where my body was always used to eating. So even though I wasn't actually physically hungry at the moment, my body sensed all these cues and started sending signals that I should be eating right now. Mm-hmm. The same thing can happen with being awake and doing other things in the bed and bedroom. If you do that frequently enough, when you get in there, instead of being a signal for, oh, it's time to relax and go to sleep, it's it's time to wake up to watch TV or to pay the bills or to worry about tomorrow or to to do whatever, right? So really having that that delineation, I think, can be important. It can be certainly helpful for a lot of people. Yeah, I really do think that's important. I know when I, you know, the first kind of thing that comes to mind sometimes n- we don't have that space that's ours, right? It's like you're in a shared space. You may not even really have a bed, but you're maybe like sleeping on a pullout couch or Mm -hmm. even on the couch. And you still have to try to find and create a routine so that your body gets that cue, like it's time to just rest. Some of the things that I've tried for myself, I definitely need need quiet my partner snores. It's like a jackhammer to my head when he snores. <laughs> so part of that is really important. I try to get him comfortable so he's not snoring. And then that helps me like cue up to be like, okay, it's quiet now. Let me rest. I know that I need darkness. So I sleep with like an eye mask. And all of these things definitely help my body feel like it's time to shut down, relax, and even for some, sometimes when I struggle, when I'm dealing with a lot of stress or anxiety, my brain is going 
you know, thousand miles a minute. I don't know if you have tips for kind of working around some of these issues that we may experience. I mean, there's there's so many tips, um, so many useful things we can do. But also the thing that I'll say from the beginning is like sleep is a very personal experience. So just because it might work for the majority of people doesn't mean that something will necessarily work for you as an individual. It's a trial and everything. But with like most things, um, I think you should try consistently for a little bit of time, right? Trying something for one night and saying, oh, this didn't work and just throwing it out the window, you might be passing up on on some techniques that could be useful for you if you just gave it a, you know, a good a good go at it, you know, a couple of days, a couple nights a week, couple of weeks sort of thing. The other thing that you highlight is that I think there's a lot of environmental factors that are actually outside of our control. Mm-hmm. So some of these social determinants of health, right? Noise and light pollution, you can't you, you, you can't just turn off a noisy neighborhood or living on a busy street, but then you can do things like earplugs. You can only do those things, however, if, if you don't have to listen for children or an elderly parent or, or et cetera, et cetera. So even there where there are, you know, relatively cheap tips that you could do, they still don't work for everyone. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so you need, we just need to be aware of that and aware that the one size fits all is probably an inaccurate description of when it comes to, to, to things that you should do for your sleep. But getting back to the things that you, that you can do for your bedroom, right? Keep it cool if possible. Somewhere between 60 and 67 degrees is actually ideal temperature wise. Those blackout shades, the ear, the, the eye mask, like you mentioned, right? So even if you can't black out the shades, you could put something on your face. Some people do find noise machines nice to mask out noise. Some people find them stimulating because they'll be listening to the to the white noise, you know, and thinking about what's going on with the noise. So all different things, not eating your meals too close to bedtime so that your your body's actually relaxing as opposed to actively digesting a lot of food in terms of the the overactive mind super, super common, right? We all have those stresses, those worries, those job demands, those uh, interpersonal relationships and, and things going on with our families or, or political concerns, all of the, the, the whole gamut of things. Our bodies, that they, they want us to be awake and, you know, to figure these things out at the most inopportune moments. Yeah. Right. So, so what can you do? Some people have suggested things like worry uh, sessions or something, you know, Put it a couple hours before bed. Take out a, a notepad and give yourself 10, 20 minutes to just write it all down. Let it out. Get it out. Dump it out. Put it on a piece of paper so you don't forget. And then if you do start to have these thoughts, remind yourself, hey, I've already I've already put it down. I'll deal with that tomorrow when I, when I have the time to be awake. If, if it gets too bad, there is the idea of getting out of bed. Don't try to force it. Again, you can't force sleep. It just doesn't happen that way. It doesn't work that way. If you're actively battling yourself, it's not going to happen. So perhaps remove yourself from the bed and allow yourself the opportunity. But also there's something to the timing of it and, and, and working with your body, right? Our biological drive to sleep is strong. If you time sleep so that it's at the moment of the day when you're most tired and when you're feeling sufficiently sleepy, that can override some of these other things, some of these competing demands, right? right. So it's a whole host of things. And it's a, it's a delicate dance. It's, it's an intricate balance. It really is. And it takes a lot of practice and a lot of manipulating things in a very nuanced way. But when you get there and you experience the good sleep, what a difference it can make for how you feel during the day. Well, I, I definitely, everything that you're kind of mentioning, I'm thinking about ways in which it has 
come up in my life, I know that sometimes I get to ruminating and I'm just like, oh man, I could, you know, create mountains, right? And I'm sitting there kind of waiting for sleep to happen and my partner's just out. Mm. And you're just like, what? Why are you not worried about all of these things? And I've had conversations with him in the morning. I was like, I couldn't sleep. And he's like, why? And I was like, I was thinking about all these things. And he's like, oh, like not even present to him, you know? Mm -hmm. The other piece of what you were mentioning too is this idea of creating that routine. You know, I know there's some studies that have also shown that if we like stop playing with our phones, right? Disconnecting from technology and creating those cues to say, it's time to shut down the house. We're going to turn down the lights. We're going to put away the phone. And all of that helps to get to that kind of circadian rhythm that we need. Yeah, I know too, at least for myself, and I know Teresa struggles with sleep as well, is sometimes we push past the point that you're talking about, right? Where you're like, I'm sufficiently sleepy. I am in the best environment, but I won't sleep. I won't allow my body to get into that space for a variety of reasons. And then you're then push past that and you're awake for hours. So I think part of the conversation too has to really focus on what you're saying and determining what works best for you and, and everything that's happening. Because even when you think about small children, right, like all best efforts to try to get them down at a certain time so that everybody gets on a rhythm and for something can easily throw that off. Yeah. And then you have to kind of re-engage and start again. Yeah, you're preaching to the choir there. Uh, but you, you mentioned a couple of things that I'd like to touch on. The technology use is so important. And I think it's important for two reasons. First, there is the idea that when you're in bed or even close to bed and you're using technology, you're typically doing something like this, right? You have an iPad or some sort of tablet or your phone and it's close to your face. So you're getting that intense light like right from the source. Mm -hmm. But the second thing, which I think might even be more alerting is the content. Right? We're typically not surfing the web or on some sort of social media looking at like, you know, I don't know, just pictures of flowers and kittens. It's usually stuff that's emotionally arousing, which is why we're doing it. Right. So it, whether it's a political comments and, and stuff that you disagree with or or just, you know, um, social context that's getting you riled up, it, it's usually or even just looking at pictures of families they are emotionally arousing. So there's the content and the light that's hitting you all at the same time which I think is, is super important. So yeah, putting those things away an hour, two hours before bed could do a lot of good, I think. The other thing that you mentioned is this almost this idea of the second wind, which is interesting, right? Um, you don't really hear it described like that when you think about sleep, but then you also relate it to children. And it is so true. I mean, that's just my lived experience right now, Yeah, is that if I miss my son being three, he's a little bit better and, and he's a little bit more able to, to communicate when he's feeling tired. But if we miss the cues with my daughter, and she gets overtired, all of a sudden it's 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 a much more difficult child to put to to put to bed, to to take a nap, to do all these sorts of things. The idea that there's this sweet spot that we need to hit, um, I think is super interesting. And in terms of adult sleep, I think there's a lot more that we could do in terms of thinking about this. Like, like is there is there this place where you pass it up and then all of a sudden something's happened and and the drive to sleep is either so strong that somehow it's a little bit alerting because your body has to has to send out additional signals to keep you up 
because your drive is so strong and those signals and, you know, all these different ideas are just super, super fascinating. But it, but it does speak to, to, to the, um, the balance. And, and you, you hit it on the head when you said like your husband, he doesn't have like a, a, you know, a fine line. He probably has this huge leeway, right? And there's people like that. And so that's the important thing is that, you know, you'll read online about all the things that people should or should not do to help their sleep. And, and, you know, for the most part, they're all pretty well founded, but they also don't apply to everyone. If, if you don't have trouble sleeping, there are plenty of people out there who could, you know, do things that we would tell people never to do, like go have a cup of coffee and go to sleep, right? Yeah. They're good sleepers. They have like this just strong drive. Their timing's right. Their ability is high. They've never had the issue. But then other people are very sensitive to any changes in the in, in their routines and the environment and, and what have you. And those are the people who I think are teetering on, you know, is there some insomnia? Is it just poor sleep health? Do I need to do something about this? Do I need to, you know, start taking some steps? You know, those sorts of, of individuals. And I think that's actually the majority of us. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting how naturally we've gotten to this place where at the end of the day, when we're struggling, I think, and you see a pattern of struggle, right? Where before I was able to really enjoy sleep, I, you know, I sleep around the same time every day, I wake up around the same time. And then if there's something that is a really strong indicator that something may be happening internally, emotionally, it is these changes in the patterns that you're used to, right? And I know, depending on the time of the year, it will change for me. You know, sometimes I may be much easier to sleep. The winter months are are easier, I think, just because it's, you know, it's nice and cozy and everything is kind of aligned to make things more comfortable. But in the summer, I think some of us may struggle and all of that is situational as well. I think one thing that I would also really hone in on is this idea of making it really personal and attainable to yourself, right? Like if you historically have never gotten more than six hours and then you're trying to be like, I'm going to get the eight, right? Then that in itself puts a lot of pressure on you, which can then hinder any progress that you're trying to make. Yeah. Trying, trying to sleep for a duration for an amount that you never have before, probably not a good idea, right? Again, it's the idea that you're trying to sleep. Sleep just doesn't work that way. So for a while I was in LA and I, had a position at UCLA and people were using this, this metaphor, this story out there to explain it. And it was about surfing. I've never surfed a day in my life, but it made a lot of sense to me, right? For surfing, you can get ready. You can do a lot of things. You can, you can wax the board, you can put on your wetsuit, you can look at the weather forecast, but then you paddle out there. You have to just wait for it to happen. You can't make a wave, right? It's the same thing with sleep. You can't make it happen. You can prepare adequately. But don't expect then all of a sudden for you to for, for you to be sleeping more than you ever have in your life, right? We there's, there's the normal bell curve. People sleep between seven to nine hours typically, but there are people who are on the outskirts of that number. And that's okay. As long as you feel well during the day and you're able to function and it's not impacting your life negatively, I don't see any reason to be concerned. I appreciate that. I think one of the most important aspects of of creating a really good home environment where you feel comfortable. You know, some of it is tied to safety because you can't even get to a place of rest if you're not feeling safe. That's one thing. The other is 
just in exploring the range of different things that could be used to help you create something that is much more attainable. Sometimes I even have heard, I don't even know the podcast, but it's another podcast where you can just basically listen to people reading a story and they are so calming and they're, and they're created in the way that they're not going to be emotionally, you know, enticing and you're interested in the story. It's just a natural drawl. And I don't even remember when I sleep, right? I'm just going right into sleep mode. So there are different things I think that folks should explore mm-hmm. as opportunities for finding what works. Yeah. And like we said at the beginning, there are general rules, general uh, strategies. You know, the National Sleep Foundation, we have a, a best slept self framework where we, you know, suggest three small steps during the day, three small steps at night. But even us, we realized that these may not fit for everyone, but they fit for enough people that we felt comfortable saying, hey, okay, get some bright light exposure in the morning. That helps. That helps kind of start start your circadian rhythm off and, and sets it so that, okay, it's morning now and you'll have this peak and it'll start to dip at night. Get some exercise every day. Uh, exercise is just good for everything, right? It's kind of like sleep in that sense. And eat your meals at consistent times each day. Because again, this helps strengthen the body's circadian rhythm. The, the stronger our body's rhythms where we just know when to expect things to happen, the better off we are and the more robust that rhythm is at night when, when it's time to sleep. So three things during the day, pretty easy things to achieve. Uh, and then things at night, avoid the nicotine, alcohol, caffeine before bed, the heavy meals. Use a nice wind down that includes things like putting the electronic away, consistent bedtimes and wake times, and prioritize your sleep. You have to prioritize. If you don't allow for seven to nine hours, you'll never get it, right? If you don't allow a window that could fit in seven to nine hours, you'll never get that. And your sleep environment, that cool, quiet, dark place. So these three things on each side, daytime, nighttime, we think that they could help a lot of people. These aren't for individuals with insomnia per se. These are just for people out there that, you know, the, the vast majority of us whose sleep could be better. We, we do these national surveys. We know that the majority of the U.S. population could have better sleep. And here are some techniques and some, uh, some uh, tips to help us get closer to the good sleep health as opposed to staying staying where we are now as a nation, which is, you know, not, not, too, not too good. You know, the one thing that I was thinking about, Joe, is how naps come into play to all of this conversation, especially when, you know, I've heard through different to different methods and, and conversation where, for instance, when you have a child, right, sleep when your child is sleeping, if you have that opportunity, do it. And then the other piece of that is oftentimes we don't allow ourselves to rest. Like we have to give ourselves permission to rest because of the way that our culture is, right? That's always on the go. I wonder, do you have any any info about naps and if they're good for us or not? Naps, I'll tell you, they sound like a very like ooh benign and happy topic, but there's a lot of controversy out there and there's very little consensus, right? So I could say things like if you're napping and you have poor sleep at night, well, potentially this is something that you should think about removing. If you're taking some naps during the day and your sleep at night is great and fine, then I think it's okay. So it's really, again, a very personal thing. Someone once told me that naps are like snacks. Sometimes snacks are good. Sometimes they're bad, right? Yeah. So it really, is it, is it, is it interfering with your appetite at dinner or is it not? So you could That's think about things to like, think about it. Yeah. You could think about things like the timing. Don't do it too or, or too close to your bedtime. 
Don't nap for too long, the duration of your nap, maybe 20 or 30 minutes, those sorts of things. But again, it's really one of those things that I think is so personal. It's First of all, if you need the sleep, if you need it, then get it where you can get it. I think that's the key because, I mean, sleep serves just core purposes. Like we need it. We need it. So if you're not getting it and you can get it during the day, then you probably should because it's a biological necessity. But if you're going to start building it into as part of your routine, just make sure you're monitoring what's happening at night. Generally splitting your sleep into two or more phases, like if your nap grows into something that's more than a nap, like three or four hours and you're doing that, that idea that you can break sleep up into multiple chunks typically doesn't pan out in the research. Well, that's good to know. I think overall, when we talk about sleep and that environment that we need to really create a place of rest for ourselves, the one thing I would kind of close with is this idea that you have to find what works for you. And it's a little bit of trial and error, right? Some some folks are just like, oh, I love buddy pillows. And then others are like, I hate those things. So you do have to play around a little bit to find out what works. I don't know if you have any closing thoughts, Joe. Yeah. I mean, I like what you're saying about, about, um, do what works for you. And I think when you do the trial and error again, be consistent with it, give it an opportunity to work sleeping with a body pillow for a single night, not likely to have an impact, right? Yeah. Right. Every night for a week or two weeks. But then I, I would go back to the idea that, that sleep is, is core to who we are. It's really like at the national sleep foundation, we think of it as like this common thread that connects all our health priorities our physical health, our mental health and well-being, our social lives, all connected by sleep. It's the common thread. So give it its due priority. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to how you're sleeping. If you're not feeling well during the day, physically, emotionally, think about how you're sleeping at night. It could be playing a role. And then at that point, start thinking about all those behaviors that may be impacting how you're sleeping. Turn to reputable sources, National Sleep Foundation. Obviously, I'm very fond of the work that we do, but look for for good reputable sources and try things out. And if those don't work, then you can start to maybe turn up the heat a little bit and start thinking about seeking seeking care from, from a licensed professional who has expertise in sleep. And I need to say that because if you just go to your primary care doctor, there's a lot of great primary care doctors out there. They don't really have the time or the energy to devote towards something as as intricate and as behaviorally controlled as sleep. So go to someone who has some expertise in training and sleep if you've implemented some strategies consistently and they're not working for you. But first and foremost, prioritize it, think about it, acknowledge it. Dr. Joe, where can they uh, our listeners find more information about the National Sleep Foundation and the three tools that you referenced? Yeah, so National Sleep Foundation, we have a great website at the NSF, so National Sleep Foundation, NSF, just all the initials, .org, the NSF.org. And on there, we have all the information about the best step self framework, the three behaviors that we recommend during the day, and the three that we recommend in the evening hours to help everyone get the sleep that they need. Well, awesome. Thanks so much for spending the time with us, Dr. Joe, and everyone who's listening. We'll be back next week to keep fighting in the open. Thanks, all. Thank you. Bye.